Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I just want to welcome all of you here at uh, Central Campus. Also, those of you who are joining us online and all of you who are meeting together at one of our other campuses up in Airdrie, down in Bridgeland in South Calgary, and also in the northwest part of our city. We are studying the book of James together, and I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles again to James chapter 3, where James talks about two kinds of wisdom, true wisdom and false wisdom. I'm going to invite you to stand and join me in reading our Bible lesson today. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let us pray. Again, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words you inspired James to write. We ask that you would expand our understanding of, of what these words mean, not just as information, but, Lord, what they mean to each of us in our lives. We ask, Lord, you'd give us the courage to respond in whatever way you would have us to. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, I woke up around 3 in the morning because I heard a chirping sound. I lay there a moment hoping that I dreamt it, but sure enough, about a minute later, I heard it again. And so I got up and I began walking around the house. I figured it had to be a low battery on one of our, uh, either our fire or carbon monoxide detectors. And so I stood where they were, or are, but um, when it chirped again, I couldn't trace it to any specific source. Now, normally I would have, you know, kind of become an inspector and, and gotten the stepladder from the garage and persisted on my hunt until I found it. But I was really exhausted. And so I did what any reasonable man would do at 3 o'clock in the morning. I put earplugs in my ears and I went back to sleep. And I haven't heard the chirp since. Mind you, I haven't taken the earplugs out yet either, but just kidding. Now, I tell that story because all of us, I'm sure, at one time or another, have been in a situation where we, we, where we became aware of something that irritated us. Something like repeatedly banging noise going on outside, or water dripping from the ceiling, or mouse drippings in the laundry room, which caused us to go on a hunt to find out the source of the irritating problem. Last time in our study of James, we looked at the power of the tongue. And one of the key takeaways was what comes out of our mouth 
is really a reflection of what's happening inside of us. In verse 11, James asks a rhetorical question. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And the answer is no, of course. He's saying what comes out of the tap is what's in the well. If you've got salt water in the well, well, you're going to get salt water out of the tap. And so if we find ourselves taking uh, sarcastic negative shots at other people, if we find ourselves putting other people down rather than building them up, we need to see that as a sign, as a red flag, that something isn't right inside of us. We can try to ignore the problem and put on earplugs, as it were. But if we really want to live the full life that Jesus came to give us and desires for us, then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to examine our heart and reveal the real issue within, the, the source, the real source. Why am I feeling insecure right now? What is behind this debilitating fear of failure that I'm experiencing right now? Why do I envy that person so much? Why did I feel the need to say something negative about that person in that last conversation I had? What is the source underlying the negative words that I'm speaking? The negative thoughts that I'm thinking? The negative behaviors that I'm acting out? Well, in the passage we just read together, James says there are two overarching systems of thought, or in the words of scriptures, two kingdoms that are trying to win over our affections. Two kingdoms that are very intentionally seeking to persuade us to believe certain things, to, to embrace certain values, and to live our lives in certain ways. In verse 15, James describes one of these kingdoms as earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And the other is heavenly and eternal. The earthly kingdom, he says, is based on false wisdom. While the heavenly kingdom is based on true wisdom. And then he goes, to, goes on to unpack them for us. First of all, James says that the earthly kingdom is earthly. It's based on the promise that this world is all that there is. That this life is all that there is. There is no afterlife. Which means you have only one shot at this life. So you better eat, drink, and be merry. You better indulge every desire because you only go around once and tomorrow you could die and that would be the end of it. So don't be overly concerned about racking up debt. Don't be overly concerned if you have to step on others to get what you want. Don't let guilt or some old school religious morality stop you from living fully in the moment and experiencing your wildest sexual fantasies. No, go for it. Because you may never have this opportunity again. Furthermore, says James in verse 15, not only is earthly kingdom earthly, but it is unspiritual. That means life is lived without God or without the Spirit of God in mind. 
Oh, research tells us that well over 80% of Canadians say they believe in God, but James reminds us back in chapter 2, verse 14, that if we say we believe in God but live like he doesn't exist, if we don't do what he says, if my will and my desires and my agenda trumps God's will and agenda, well, then we're only fooling ourselves. James says that faith without works is dead. And so he describes this earthly kingdom as earthly, as unspiritual, and then he goes on to describe it as demonic. James 2.19, James says the demons believe in God. No demons that are atheists. They believe in God, and they shudder. But you see, they won't live for God because they want to be worshipped rather than worshiping the true and living God. And that fundamentally is what Satan tries to tempt us with. Back in Genesis 3, this was precisely what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with, that their life would be so much better and fulfilling without God, that they would experience the best life possible if they were in control of their own lives, if they were pursuing their own agendas rather than God's agenda. The great core temptation we all face in life is to be the center of our own universe, to actually receive worship. To essentially be God. Run our own show. But here's the problem. If I don't believe in God, if I believe that I'm a product of chance, then obviously I can't find my identity or significance through who I am in God. Which means I'm going to have to find my value apart from God. Furthermore, I'm going to have to make it happen because no one else is going to do this for me. And as I talked about a few weeks ago, the way I become significant and valuable is by comparing myself with you. For example, the way I determine how fit I am is by comparing the level of my fitness with other people. Brian Clark says, what this means is in the earthly kingdom, life is defined by comparison and competition. I will determine my value and my significance based on how I compare my performance with you. Every day, we're really comparing and competing against each other, trying to prove our value by outperforming one another. And the way we keep score is by the symbols of success we accumulate. The clothes we wear, the titles we have, the degrees we have, the status of our profession or the status of our, our profession in the org chart, the house we live in or where that house is located. In short, all the things that we value in our culture that say, you matter more than somebody else. And this is what is fundamentally wrong with the earthly kingdom. 
In verse 16, James says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Does that not describe our society and our world? Chaos, disorder, pretty much every evil practice. You see, if the highest ambition of your life is to further your interests, to get people to notice you, to get people to look up to you, admire you, in short, to worship you, then bitter envy will be directed toward anyone who gets more attention or achieves a higher level of success than you do. And that will lead to all kinds of insecurity and fears within you and tempt you to discriminate or to judge others unfairly or to use your tongue to slander other people. For example, if someone says, wow, did you hear Billy sing in the service today? Man, he hit it out of the park. Best solo I've ever heard. Now, if your identity rests on your relationship with God, well, you're able to join in with that person and celebrate the gifts and the talents that God's given to Billy. But if your identity rests on you being the best singer or musician, watch out. Because you're going to feel envy rise up in you like a raging fire. And you're going to feel ever so tempted to say something like, yeah, but he's so arrogant. So full of himself. Everyone who knows him can't stand being around him. Or if your identity is to be a successful businessman and someone points to another business person and says, wow, he's so smart, he's so good at what he does, everything inside of you is going to want to take a shot at the other guy. Say something like, yeah, well, from what I hear, he's gotten to where he's at through doing a lot of shady deals. if your identity rests on being the best mom, and someone comes along and says how amazing another mother happens to be, you're going to be ever so tempted to say something like, well, she may appear to be an amazing mother in public, but I've been told at home she's a control freak. I've been told that her kids, are they're going to need some serious therapy when they get older. You see, this is the disorder. This is the restlessness. This is the chaos. This is every evil practice that James says in verse 16 characterizes the earthly kingdom. This is the false wisdom, the false way of thinking that's behind the discrimination that James talks about in chapter 2, the tongue that curses and slanders that he talks about in chapter 3, and the tension and the conflict in relationships that James talks about in chapter 4. All of this negative stuff takes place because our identity, you see, is at stake. Our sense of value and significance is at stake. If it's all about you, If you're the center of your universe, then you'll be hugely tempted to point out the weaknesses in others because you cannot be dethroned. And I say that because, you see, if you're dethroned as the best dad or mom or doctor or pastor or plumber 
or whatever it is for you. Maybe it's the nicest rose garden. Whatever it is for you. Well, then you see in the earthly kingdom, if you get dethroned, you don't matter anymore because the source of your identity has been taken away from you. And so every day, those who are part of the earthly kingdom are driven by a relentless need to prove their worth, which leads us to ask, so what is the alternative to this? I mean, we see this all around us, and we find that many times we're caught in it ourselves. Well, the answer is it's Jesus and his heavenly kingdom. The heavenly kingdom is built on the premise that God is the center of the universe. This may be news for some of us. Yes, God loves us. He's for us. He has our best interests at heart in all things. But God doesn't exist to make us happy or to fulfill all the dreams that we have in life. It's not about us. It's about him. However, if we surrender our life to him and daily cultivate our friendship with him and live in humble dependence upon him, the Bible promises that we will be blessed in his way, in his time. May not be the way we want to be blessed, but we will be. And we will find true meaning and value and satisfaction in life. You see, when God says, worship me, delight in me, rejoice in me, he's not an insecure despot begging for compliments. No, he knows that if we put ourselves at the center of the universe, if we make this life all about us, if we worship anything or anyone other than him, we're going to be miserable in this life. We're going to be despairing. We're going to be feel unfulfilled in this life because everything in this life, the stuff we possess, the trophies we win, the positions we attain, the accolades that we receive, even the people we love, none of it is going to last. When it's all said and done, we're going to leave it all behind. Even though all these things are given to us for our enjoyment, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, without God, it's all meaningless. When those who are citizens of the earthly kingdom come to the end of life and begin to run out of energy and realize they can't compete anymore the way they used to be able to, and then they're replaced by others at work, and their accomplishments are largely forgotten, they will likely find themselves facing moments of despair as they wonder, what, what, what was all this about? What did I really accomplish with my life that matters? But you see, if we put God at the center of it all, and we make him the object of our highest affection. 
we're now set free to enjoy him and all the gifts and resources that he's given to us. And rather than incessantly trying to compete with one another, we're set free to use the gifts, the talents he's given us to do good, to bless humanity because we're no longer performing to prove our worth or to bring glory to ourselves. We're doing it all to the glory of God. It's what he thinks about us that matters. That's all fundamentally that matters. And this change of perspective is the foundation of true wisdom that comes from heaven. In verse 17, James says, the wisdom that comes from the heavenly kingdom is first of all pure. James says true heavenly wisdom begins with purity. He's not referring to sexual purity here, as important as that is. He's referring to purity of heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. The word pure has two basic meanings in the original language. The first is to be clean. To be pure in heart means to be clean, to be forgiven, to be set free by God. James is saying that entrance into God's heavenly kingdom begins when we acknowledge that I can't perform well enough to please God. I can't merit favor with God. I can't save myself. He's saying true wisdom begins when I believe and humbly accept that Jesus did on the cross what I could not do for myself. But by his grace, he made a way for me to be reconciled with my heavenly father who is the source, not only of my salvation, but also the source of my identity and my significance and my value. Which is what God intended in the first place when he first created us. See, my significance is not rooted in my performance or how I compare or compete with other people. No, it's rooted in my relationship with God. And no one can touch that. No one can change that. When God's at the center of my life, my identity is found in Him. And consequently, it doesn't go up and down day after day the way it does when I'm at the center of my life. And that changes everything. Every day now is not about trying to find value and significance by somehow winning the admiration and applause of other people through what I do. Rather, because my identity is firmly established in Christ, I'm free to live my life differently from those who are part of the earthly kingdom. I'm free to live the life that God calls me to live, to fulfill the calling that he's given to me. In God's kingdom, I'm free to be generous, even though the world around me says, are you crazy? I'm free to serve other people and to give my life to that. Whereas other people look at you strange when you're that way. I'm free to actually love you because I don't feel the pressure to prove my worth any longer by competing or comparing myself with you. 
I'm free to give myself away in love for others and to encourage and to celebrate and to cheerlead the achievements and just plain the faithfulness of other people. Personally, I don't have to compare myself with other preachers and teachers. I don't have to tear them down in order to feel better about myself. I get to celebrate their giftedness and how God's using them for his glory. And at the same time, be incredibly grateful for the opportunity uh, to be used of God in the vineyard that he's asked me to serve in. James says, true wisdom starts here with a heart that is pure. Now here's the amazing part. When Jesus is invited to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, when he's invited to invade our lives, he'll begin to transform us from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. James says we'll increasingly be peace-loving. Look at verse 17. We'll increasingly be peace-loving, considerate of the feelings of others. We'll be submissive or genuinely humble. We'll be full of mercy or gracious, loving and kind. We'll be full of good fruit, which is referring to the fruit of the Spirit. We'll be impartial. We'll be sincere. And if you look at the list of qualities that he lists there, that really characterizes those who are citizens of God's heavenly kingdom, you'll notice it's very similar to the Beatitudes that Jesus taught in in Matthew 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, which the Apostle Paul teaches in Galatians 5. And I could take time now to describe each of these qualities more fully, but I think it's more important that we understand that James is not giving us a list of qualities here that we need to strive to achieve. If we want God to be, in order for, if we want God to be happy with us or if we want to get to heaven when we die, the fact is, though we may try, we cannot achieve living out these qualities in our own strength. James is not describing here what we must achieve. He's describing here what the Holy Spirit will achieve and do in each of us as we daily surrender our lives to him and cultivate a growing friendship with God. In other words, these qualities are not something you seek after. It is something the Holy Spirit blesses you with as you pursue God and his agenda for your life. And so if these qualities are becoming more and more evident in your life and my life, if your life is increasingly reflecting the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control of Jesus Christ, that means you're dialed into Jesus. You're seeking Jesus and his kingdom above all else. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Jesus is the source of true wisdom. Which means that when we invite him into our lives and live in humble dependence upon him, he will give us the wisdom that we need to live the full life that God intends for us to live. And he will give us His character and his life will increasingly be reflected in our life. 
On the other hand, if you find yourself constantly struggling with insecurity or a fear of failure or bitter envy, if you're struggling with what's coming out of your mouth, if you're struggling big time in your relationship with your spouse or your children or friends or your relationship with people at work, you have a choice to make. You can put earplugs in and ignore it all. Or you can ask, Lord, why am I struggling in this area so much? You can stop and ask, who am I listening to? Who, who am I pattering my life after? Who am I trusting? What's behind the way I'm thinking, the way I'm acting? Which kingdom am I giving my life to? I mean, really giving my life to. Not which kingdom do I want to give my life to, but which kingdom I'm actually giving my life to. Who is my king? Do not be fooled. These two kingdoms are polar opposites. The kingdom of this world says it's all about you. The kingdom of God says it's not about you at all. It's about the God who created you, who's all-powerful, totally sovereign, loves you more than you'll ever know. So which one are you giving your life to? You see, to be pure in heart not only means to be clean, to be forgiven, to be reconciled with God through Christ. There's a second meeting that comes with the pure in heart. It also means to be focused on one thing. To be pursuing only one thing in your life. And that is to know God and pursue a friendship with God. To make him the center of everything. Make no mistake, if you want to experience all God has for you, if you want the wisdom of Christ, if you want the character of Christ to be reflected in and through you, then you have to decide who's going to be Lord and Master. Who you will believe. Who you will trust. Who you will follow with all of your heart. The Apostle Paul made a choice. He said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ. One focus. For me to live is Christ. So I ask you, for you to live is what? Here's the bottom line. The more your life is about you, the more miserable you're going to be. The more you make your marriage about you, about your needs, your rights, your desires, the more miserable your marriage is going to be. The more you make your family or your friendships about you, the more fractured those relationships are going to be. On the other hand, the more you embrace the truth that it's not about you, but it's about God, and you invite him into your life and to change you from the inside out, and you worship him as your Lord and King, the more you will be set free to love him and to love others 
the more you'll be set free from thinking about yourself, your needs, your rights, your desires every moment of every day. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you will become a true child of the King. To be set free from self-centered thinking, from comparing and competing, and instead you will be set free to genuinely give yourself away in love for others. May it be so in each of our lives to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. I'm going to invite you to stand. So which kingdom are you really giving your life to? For you to live is what? going to ask us to hold our hands open to the Lord again and just ask those two questions. Lord, what is it that you're saying to me through your word today? And what is it that you want me to do about it? What is one step you want me to take? Just take a moment right now to receive from him, to hear from him. Father, I want to thank you for this reminder that James gives to us. Two kingdoms, two sources of wisdom. We understand it intellectually. Help us, Lord, to understand the implications of this teaching in our lives. I want to thank you for being such a good such a good, good God for loving us the way that you do. For loving us enough to not let us to not challenge us, Lord, with truths like this. To remind us, Lord, that there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is despair, it's death. And so many are on that pathway and they're just blind to what you want for them. I pray today 
that every person here won't just leave again and put the earplugs back in and carry on. But Lord, they'll really understand your heart, your heart for them, your desire for them. And they'll take a step, Lord, in your direction and all that you have for them. We love you, Lord. And we just commit ourselves anew to you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 